Hello, welcome to Bethel Baptist Church Podcast. Today, May 9th, 2021, Pastor Ronnie pinch hits for Pastor Steve from the pulpit. We look at the big idea, when you're sad, when life's hard, trust God from various passages from the life of David. So I have a couple backup sermons just sitting in the file waiting to go, but some of them are a few years old. They're not too fresh in my mind, so I figured... Uh, instead, we'd walk through something that is fresh in my mind. Uh, I had the opportunity to speak to, was it first through third graders at Oski Christian? Yeah, that was the group. Uh, so, talking about trusting God from the life of David. So, I kind of made a quick adaption of that, and we're going to walk through that today. It's maybe going to be a little bit more teachy, casual than uh, a normal sermon Uh, might be. Um, The big idea is when you're sad, trust God. And I think, how many of you guys have ever been sad? I'm going to look for some audience interaction here. It's going to be a little more Sunday school feeling. How many of you guys have been sad? If you're not raising your hand, you're probably lying, which makes me sad. Um, How many of you could maybe relate to this experiences or feelings of tension in your life okay there's some more hands there there's there is tension in life certainly if not i have no idea how you're escaping it Uh, but that has oftentimes or will oftentimes produce different emotions in your life and it's not bad necessarily uh, to be sad Here's some other words, maybe if sad is two, first through third grader for you. Uh, Bitterness, dismay, heartbroken, melancholy, when you're feeling mournful, maybe pessimistic, somber, sorrowful, sorry, bereaved, blue, cheerless, dejected, despairing, despondent, uh, distressed, down, down in the dumps, down in the mouth, downcast, Forlorn, if you hadn't noticed, I'm going through synonyms. Gloomy, glum, grief-stricken, grieved, heart-sick, heavy-hearted, hurting, in grief, languishing, low, low-spirited, out of sorts, sick at heart, troubled, weeping, woebegone. There you go. I didn't actually know that was a real word. This is going to date me, but I grew up playing video games, uh, Crash Bandicoot, and one of the characters on there is Wobegon. What do you know? He, he doesn't do nice things to the other characters in the game. Uh, but maybe, like, if you think of sad, there's lots of different ways that sad comes out in our lives. And sometimes uh, maybe it looks more like sorrowful. Maybe it's more of hurt. Uh, maybe it's more... Uh, heart sick, lonely. There's all kinds of different things that can kind of flow out of the idea of sadness. So we're going to look at how do we trust God when we're sad? Because as most of you guys admitted, that does happen sometimes. And yet we still need to trust God. So we're going to look at the life of David. uh, And maybe you think of David as having like this super awesome life, like if you think of Bible characters, he's got to be one of the top five that you think of. Uh, and you think of, wow, he did all these amazing things and so much adventure and whatnot. But 
if you really sit down and think about it, I was thinking about it this morning, would I really want to live out David's life? Like, there was a lot of tension in David's life, a lot of things that he dealt with that I'd really rather not. Uh, Certainly, he had high moments, uh, but there was a lot of sadness, I think, in his life, too, uh, and hurt. So I want to go through and walk through some of those things. Uh, I think there's five of them. Uh, Hopefully, we get through all of them, and maybe some of them relate to you a little bit more than others, but we're just going to walk through and maybe take a look at maybe some of the things that he dealt with and felt. So 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, just to place us in the story a little bit, the first king of Israel was Saul. Uh, it has been said that he didn't have a heart for God. David had a whole heart. Solomon had half a heart. Um, that kind of places you maybe in there. And uh, Samuel had anointed Saul. Saul didn't obey God, and God had rejected him as king. The story picks up here in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from the region of Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king from his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one I have named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said. He went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Did you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was... When they came, that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he called it Benadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And thus Jesse made seven sons of his pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has chosen none of these. So Samuel said to Jesse, Are all these the young men here? And he said, Oh, well, there is another one, the youngest that remains. He's there keeping the sheep. So where was David in this story? All, everyone's gathered for uh, Samuel, the head, main prophet of Israel. Uh, Samuel was really worried about what was going to happen when he came here because people would know Samuel's here. Something big is happening. And guess who did not get invited to the party? David. I don't know about you, but if everyone in my family, there's five of us kids, so not as big as this, if everyone got invited to the party and I was left to do the equivalent of watching sheep, I don't know, cleaning the house or something like that, I might not have been real excited about that. But yet David was faithful and was out watching his sheep. So think about it with me in your own life. Have you ever been left out? Have you ever experienced injustice, maybe go unnoticed, 
Have you ever felt invisible in a situation? Have you ever felt like no one cares? I heard this illustration, or I think I read it. Don't really remember. Uh, but it was about a boy, and he was really excited. It was his birthday, and all his friends were coming. And his mom asked him what he wanted to do, and he wanted to go to the high school basketball game. Wow, this is going to be awesome. You know those young, it seemed like he was like in the junior high or maybe the 10 to 14 range telling the story. They really look up to them, big basketball players. Uh, and they were really excited about, or the, the boy was really excited about that, so he invited all his friends, and they came, they were all excited. He went in to the game, and he was excited about hanging out and watching the game with his friends. He bought them the tickets, gave them the tickets, and their friends all just went and hung out with other people, and he sat and watched the game by himself. That's kind of sad, um, I'm sure. And he said he still remembered that to that day and can feel the little 10 or 12-year-old sadness creep over him. Uh, but he illustrated that in the, the idea of being left out. And I think that's something that uh, sometimes that we experience, maybe something that goes a little bit unnoticed in this passage sometimes. Uh, and yet, uh, the passage continues, Samuel tells Jesse, send, bring him, for we'll not sit down until he comes. So verse 12, so he sent and brought him in, uh, and he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So sometimes God uses the overlooked ones. God has big plans. Maybe if you feel overlooked in this life, you feel unnoticed, you feel like you've been treated unfairly, um, God doesn't see you in the same light that other people do. And we can trust God, and as David was obedient, we can trust God uh, even when uh, it feels like people aren't treating us right, and even when that makes us sad. Then you have the classic story, David and Goliath, right? We can't leave that one out. That's only one chapter later, Samuel chapter 17. Uh, let's look at verse 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So here you have this giant of a man, and the Philistines and the Israels are at war, and Goliath comes out and says, let's just do this the easy way. You send one warrior, I'll fight him. Whoever wins, we'll just declare them the victor. Uh, but everyone was afraid of it. Now, even though David was anointed... It's a long time before he actually becomes king. So you, you try to think through David's uh, emotions. That must have been amazing. Wow, I just, I, I just got anointed king of Israel. I was watching my sheep one minute, and now I've been anointed king of Israel. And yet, it takes a long time and takes a lot of patience uh, and trials, a lot of sadness for David before that actually comes about. So he finds himself here facing Goliath something that seemed impossible to apparently every of the mighty men and soldiers uh, in Israel. Jump to verse 24. And all of the men, when they saw the man, speaking of Goliath, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. What a bunch of machos, huh? They see this Goliath and they don't even, not, not only are they not willing to fight him, they're just like, I'm out of here. It's like when 
you're in Sunday school and you know it's going to be ending and somebody's going to call on somebody to pray, it's like, don't make eye contact. They might pick me. I don't know if that's the feeling. If we, if we get out of here, we won't get picked to fight him because that's not happening. Uh, verse 25 then, So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, give him uh, his father's house, uh, exemption from taxes. Woo, that'd be awesome, right? Then David spoke to the men who stood by, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine? Uh, and they kind of reiterate uh, that to him. So not only is no one willing to fight him, Saul can't even bribe anyone to do it. They're not even willing uh, to risk it. And yet you know the story, verses 45 through 47, later on in the passage. David volunteers. He tries on the armor. It's too big for him. He's like, no, I'll do it the way that I'm used to with the sling and the stone. Verse 45, then David said, or here, let's back up a little bit. Um, how about verse 41? So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Uh, so here is basically this boy coming to fight David. And you must be wondering, like David or Goliath must be thinking, are they trying to mock me? Like, what's going on here? So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give you, or I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. Um, then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Where was David's trust? It was, was it in a stone? Was it in a sling? It was in his God. And so even in this impossible situation that no one else was willing to face, David was willing to stand for his God because his trust was not in himself. It was not in his circumstances. It wasn't even in uh, his abilities, which he talked about previously. He had killed uh, some wild beasts, but it was in his God. Have you ever faced something that seemed impossible? Maybe you're in a situation now that it just seems impossible. Um, maybe it's something terrifying. We need to obey and do what's right, no matter the circumstances. And how can you do that? By trusting God. So in thinking through that, what shapes your decisions, emotions, and reactions? Because there's two different things that are shaping people in the story. Something different is shaping David's uh, decisions, emotions, and reactions. He's not running from the situation because the size of his God is bigger than the size of his problem. And so as we consider what is making us sad, who is bigger, that, the object of that, the, the tension in our lives, or God? And how you answer that question will probably re reflect uh, where you put your trust in yourself or in God. Then you have multiple stories uh, of David with Saul continuing. Uh, just one chapter over, verse 19. Or sorry, chapter 19, verse 1. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his sons, and to all his servants that they should kill David. 
But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So this resentment builds between Saul. I don't know if some point along the line, I didn't read everything, so I can't remember if it's told or maybe he found out David had been anointed. That's a possibility. We do know that he held a lot of resentment and bitterness because David killed Goliath and they sang the song of David. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was, wasn't too happy about that. Got to the point where he wanted uh, David dead. In fact, he has a bounty on his head at, at one point. First Samuel 24, I'm not going to take time to read the whole thing today, but in 24 and 26, David has opportunities to end this struggle that he's had. It's interesting as you kind of think through what were maybe David some of these emotions in this. We actually, <clears throat> excuse me, get a glimpse of that in some of the Psalms. Some of the Psalms actually align with these stories. Turn to Psalm 18. So here you have Saul out basically on the warpath trying to get David. And there's all these different stories through there of David narrowly escaping. They're on the run. Does that sound like a cheerful way to live? Literally fleeing for your life, hiding, living in caves. You have a a group of bodyguards around you because at any time anyone could try and assassinate you essentially. He only had those who he really trusted close to him. Uh... Let's see, Psalm 18, perhaps you have a heading above the verse. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song, on the day the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies, from the hand of Saul. Listen to what David said. Let's read the first verses. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, right? My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So I will be saved from my enemies. Turn to Psalm 57. Once again, verses 1 through 3, the heading says, A chief musician set to do not destroy uh, of Micham of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. He says, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make refuge until these calamities have passed. I will cry out to the Most High God, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. So he talks once again about trusting God in that situation. In fact, he uses the analogy of a mother bird protecting her little chicks Uh, with her wings and and sheltering close to God in that protection. And that's where he was finding his trust. We could continue on. Psalm 59 talks about uh, the same thing, and Psalm 142 do as well. In these situations, Saul's running from, from, back up, David's running from Saul, and there's two situations where Saul literally just like walks in, in one, for sure in one instance, he walks right into the cave and David's in the cave so close that he cuts a piece of the cape 
part of his garment off. Uh, and put yourself in David's shoes. You might be thinking, oh, I've been trusting God, and here's my opportunity. Saul just happens to walk. I mean, how many caves are in Israel? And Saul happens to walk in by himself into that one cave. And all David's men are like, David, this is your chance. Does David trust in himself or does he trust in God? Because God's promised to make him king. And in David's mind, it's not right to kill God's anointed. Let me contrast that with another story. There's several uh, where maybe I could call it people trying to help God out. How does that usually work out? I think of the story of Abraham. Uh, God promises that he will have a child, and yet he's old and his wife is old, and to him that seems impossible. And so he tries to help God out by having Ishmael with their handmaiden, with with Sarah's handmaiden. That wasn't according to God's plan. It usually doesn't go well when we try to help God out. And yet in this situation, David doesn't help God out. He spares Saul's life and trusts God to do it God's way. Perhaps you have somebody that hates you, that is out to get you. I doubt you, probably none of you guys are hiding here watching the door to see if somebody's coming in here gunning for you. It's probably more in a a subtle way that you experience the feelings that David did. Uh, Maybe you're treated unfairly. Maybe they're defacing your name. That was certainly happening with Saul and David. Maybe they've taken something that's rightfully yours. They lie about you. They don't honor you. They return your favor or your uh, peacefulness with them with hatred. And yet David didn't do that. He trusted God uh, through that. I forgot to mention with Goliath, you have Psalm 9 uh, that talks about David's heart uh, in that situation. I just want to back up real quick and, and read that for you. In regard to David and Goliath, Psalm 9 talks about David's heart in dealing with issues that he experiences. In verse 9 and 10, I don't know that this psalm was explicitly written in the events of Goliath, but it it, it continues to portray great David's trust in God throughout his hard circumstances, which certainly, as you read through this passage, David's talking about. Verse 1 says, You will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing your praise to your name. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. Verse 4, For you have maintained my right, and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked, have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. You have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished, but the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the peoples in righteousness. Then you get verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in the time of trouble, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For the Lord have not forsaken, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So maybe you're sitting here saying, okay, but it always worked out good for David, right? It always worked out good. Like he killed the, the giant, he became the king. Uh, eventually, Saul dies in battle. That problem's solved. So you think, 
Well, it works out good for David. It doesn't always work out so great in my life. Well, you haven't read all the stories if that's what you're thinking, because it doesn't always work out so great for David. When I was a little kid, I have no idea why, my favorite story, we had like this children's story Bible, and my favorite story was the story of Absalom getting his hair stuck in the tree and getting killed. I don't know why that was my favorite story. My parents are probably concerned at that point. Uh, but that happens uh, in Second Samuel. David loved Absalom. Uh, that's easy uh, to establish. I think it's Second Samuel 18. You can flip there if you'd like. Yeah. So it, so in this story, this um, what happens here. I might back up. Let me look. I should have wrote what these verses were attached to. Yeah, so chapter 15, verse 13 says, Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So Absalom is David's son, and essentially he raises a coup against David. He, he, the hearts of the people are with Absalom, and it's so bad that David has to flee uh, the palace in the capital from his own son, Absalom. And so David experiences the betrayal of his own son. I can only imagine that that would, sadness wouldn't do justice, what David must have been feeling in that betrayal from his own son. Verse 18, 12, uh, even reflects how much people knew Solomon meant, or Absalom meant to uh, David. Uh, in this story, uh, in chapter 18, Absalom uh, gets his hair stuck in the tree, and he's hanging there. And Joab, who was kind of David's right-hand man, another person that that David trusted. Uh, let's see. Oh, we'll start at verse 9. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great ter- uh, terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth, so that he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which uh, was under him went on. Uh, now a certain man saw it and told Joab, and he said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. Like, okay, that's unusual, right? So Joab said to the man who was with him, You saw him, and you did not, uh, and you did not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you ten seconds of sh- silver in a belt. Ooh, yay. Verse 12, But the man said to Joab, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abisha and Itta, saying, Beware, lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life, for there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. And so... He is well aware of the fact that David, even though Absalom has betrayed him and raised his coup, David wants to protect his son. And he says, no no amount of money would have allowed me to do that because I know David doesn't want it, and also he doesn't want David's wrath. And so Joab's own right-hand men ends up killing Absalom. So not only in the story is he betrayed by his son, but he's betrayed by his right-hand man, Joab. How about you? Has anyone mistreated you 
to those you love reciprocate it? How would you have responded in this situation? Go to Psalm chapter 3. The title is, The Lord Helps His Troubled People, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Verse 1 says, Lord, how they have increased, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. They are, many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I cried to the Lord with my head, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke. The Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 people who have set themselves against me. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. I, I can't imagine how David foresaw that ending, his own son leading a military coup against him and yet not wanting his own son to, to perish. I don't, I don't know that David saw the how that was going to work out for him. And perhaps in life, there are situations where you just don't even, I don't know how this is, works out good for me. Uh, certainly people experience things like that, and yet through this psalm, you know, who was David looking at? In all these stories, there's all these different things David could have looked at, and yet he was always turning to God. And then you have the story of David and his child in 2 Samuel, verse 12, uh, if, you, if you know the story, David sins, commits adultery at minimum. It may have been a situation in, in today's world that you would call that rape, or we don't know all the details there, but definitely not an okay thing. And then he tried to cover it up uh, with murder, and yet out of that, David received, gets a child, has a child, I guess you could say, repents of his sin, is broken over his sin. The Psalm 51 that we read last week, if you remember that at all, David talking about the brokenness of his sin is after he's confronted uh, by Nathan from that. And even though this, this child came out of sin, David loved this child very much. Go to chapter 12, verse 16. And we'll actually start out in verse 15. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. Therefore David pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food for them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. So it would appear that David laid on the ground, I'm assuming maybe face down, maybe maybe he moved around a little bit, but he didn't eat, uh, nor could anyone raise him for seven days. He laid on the ground praying to God for his child. I've never seen anyone do something like that. I've seen sorrow. I've seen people concerned for loved ones. I've seen them praying. Uh, but David displayed his sadness, and that's a we could use some stronger words than sadness, right, in the situation. His brokenness for his sin and the consequences uh, that he was seeing um, on his son because of that. 
Apparently, it was so impactful to those around him, his servants. Verse 18, on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he wouldn't heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. So they're looking at him like, look, the dude's been laying here on the floor for seven days not eating, and the child's not even dead. When he's dead, they're all like, I don't want to be the one to tell him. This is This could be... Bad. And so that maybe frames what happens in an, they weren't expecting what happens next either. Verse 19, then David saw that his servants were whispering. They must have been over in the corner. We've all seen stuff like that before. David perceived then that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? Uh, and they said, he is dead. And you can just maybe see the tension in those words like, yeah almost wanting to like say the words and then hop out the door and get out of there. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And he went to his own house as he requested, or when he requested, they set food before him and, his, and he ate. So they're, they're expecting this sadness, the sorrow to just erupt, basically. And yet he doesn't do that at all. Then the servant said to him, like, at one hand, they're scared to tell him, that, thinking they might die, but then the unexpected happens, and it's so unexpected that they can't, they just got to ask, what's going on here? What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food? And he said, while the child was alive, I wept and fasted, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me and that the child will live? So who is he? pleading with, who is he trusting in? And even in the way that he frames that, he was understanding that it could go either way, and he was trusting God in either way that it would happen. And we can tell by his reaction that he was doing that. His, his trust in God wasn't conditional upon the answer that he wanted of his prayer. Verse 23, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back to me? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And certainly, I think we have all experienced loss. And that is not earthly normal to experience that loss and then go and worship God. If, if you don't know God, if you don't trust him, that makes no sense. You don't understand that. Uh, I told the kids uh, a personal illustration. I lost a pinky, right? So I've experienced this much loss this year. Uh, and yet it, it, it brought up some new emotions for me that I've never really experienced. Uh, I remember the first time taking the bandage off and looking and just seeing what it looked like after surgery without a finger and it just, I like, couldn't even like hardly look at it. It made me sick. I felt violated. Like It felt like something that was intimately mine was taken from me that only I should have. Like, but my pinky, that's mine. Like, you can't take that. Why would God let this happen to me? That question floated through my head, and I, have, I still have no idea why. Um, maybe it's just to teach me about how kind of like what David's talking about, how big he is. And God is bigger than my pinky. 
which is just a little thing. But little things sometimes can be very meaningful uh, and hard to deal with. So I don't know why, but I do know that God is loving. He's good. He's faithful. He's all-knowing. He's powerful. He's all-powerful, not just powerful. And we could go, I could go on with, with those thoughts. So while I don't know why, I do know that God has allowed it, and he's in control, and because of that, I can trust God, because he is a big God, right? Is God bigger than my loss? Is God bigger than your loss? Is God bigger than your sadness? We talked through a bunch of different stories about David and the things that he experienced. Maybe some of those things, maybe you don't experience them in such dramatic fashion. I don't know. Maybe some of them you can relate to more than I can in that regard. Uh, But I think a lot of those, you boil them down to what is that emotion? What is that experience? We've experienced those things on smaller levels or on maybe some of us very big levels. So how can we trust God like David when life is hard, when we're experiencing those, those, what we perceive as negative emotions? When you don't understand what God is doing, you can still trust who he is, right? When we don't understand what God is doing, we can trust who he is. And instead, here's the big thing. Instead of letting your circumstances shape God, let God shape your circumstances. So instead of looking at, oh, I lost my pinky. This is so terrible. Why, why did this happen? If, if I'm only focused on that, the pain, the sadness of that, or whatever you're experiencing, is that going to affect you negatively? Like if, if you're only focusing on that, it starts to frame your perspective and who you think God is. But if you go to God first, you look at who he is, you consider how big he is, how amazing he is, then you look at your problems, suddenly your problems are maybe something that with God's help, you can go through. So here's a couple application points for you. I think I actually have a little baby PowerPoint here. How to trust when it seems impossible. So here's a couple things we can put, we could pull these. I'm not going to take time to heavily connect them to David's story, but they come right out of it. Ooh, that's small. Nice. Be broken over your sin. So it's surprising that in these stories, that's one of the things that David always considers, it seems like, is his, where is his own sin in these responsibilities, or in these situations? Instead of just focusing on injustice or other people, he focuses on his relationship with God. And when he perceives sin, he is always broken over it. Sidebar. I, I think that might be part of the reason why God considered him a man after his own heart and that how David viewed sin. He certainly wasn't perfect, but he was always broken over his sin. Then meditate on God's attributes. How can you have a bigger view of God? Do some research, do some study, think through, wonder at God's attributes and what those look like. What do those mean? That'll help you see God is bigger than your situation. Pray to him. Talk to God, praise him. David does these things. He prays to God, and he's real with God, right? He talks about how this is hard, how, this, how his emotions, and yet he always, he always circles back to the thing that he trusts God, uh, and he praises him. Consider what God has done. Uh, that praise, uh, I'll jump down, can lead you to thanksgiving. 
So even in hard times, there's always lots of things that we can be thankful for that God is doing in our lives. Don't miss those. Don't be so focused on the sadness and those things that you miss the things to be thankful for. Talk to somebody. Don't just hold that in. Talk to somebody that you trust specifically about what you're struggling with. God's plan for us, for the church, is that we do this. And sometimes we walk around like, everything is perfect, and yet nothing's perfect for any of us. So talk to each other about those things. And hopefully we develop relationships where we can, and we're a church, that we can be open, approachable, and that we're willing to talk to other people when we're struggling. And then take care of yourself. Maybe you notice this in the passage. There is a time for sorrow. There is a time for deep mourning. But as David comes out of that, he takes care of himself. He eats. He washes. He changes. Some of those essential things, sleeping, eating, cleanliness, exercise, those are important uh, elements of survival. But they also have a way of helping you pull through and not just fixate on the element of of your sadness. So, once again, instead of letting your circumstances shape God, let God shape your circumstances. Let's have a word of prayer here before we sing. Dear Lord, we thank you for examples. We just looked at a few of them, and only in one life of one man, David, of how we can practically trust you even when things are are difficult and and we acknowledge that life is difficult that it that because of sin there's a lot of sadness and brokenness a lot of hard things that we go through and yet how awesome you are as we sung uh, earlier in the worship service you you came to earth to deal with that sin problem uh, and now we can trust in you and we look forward to the day when we don't have to deal with those anymore in heaven uh, but in the meantime, we can trust you and trust you even through those, those difficult circumstances. And you are truly where the joy is in life. I pray that we would consider you in all things and that we would have a big perspective of you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.